Welcome to Quick Brain, bite-sized brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. I'm your coach, Jim Quick. Free your mind. Let's imagine if we could access 100% of our brain's capacity. I wasn't high, wasn't wired, just clear. I knew what I needed to do and how to do it. I know Kung Fu. Show me. Welcome back to the Quick Brain Podcast. I am your host and your brain coach, Jim Quick. I'm excited about this conversation. We're going to talk about parenting. We're going to talk about education. We're going to talk about homeschooling. We get a lot of questions around this subject matter, and I'm excited to have a an ally of education and empowerment as our guest today. She's a longtime friend, and her name is Katie Wells. She's founder of Wellness Mama. She has a background in, in research and journalism on nutrition. She's a mom of six. She's a best-selling author. I mean, she is a, a renaissance individual. And so welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. Any week I get to talk to you is a great one, and this is one of my favorite topics. I'm so excited. I know you take a, a first principle approach to this, so maybe you could maybe give a, a, just a couple minutes background on, on your journey and, and your perspective when it comes to you know be able to develop and discover your children's strengths? For me, it really began when my oldest was approaching school age and I started evaluating what was going to be the best school option for him. Was it going to be homeschooling? Was it going to be public school, private school? And in order to evaluate that, I tried to go back to first principles and think, well, what are the actual core tenets of what makes education valuable for someone in today's world that will serve him in adulthood? And when I started looking at things that way, I realized that there weren't any great options out there that actually serve our kids and what they're likely to encounter in adult life because everything is so rapidly changing. And the things that we can anticipate our kids needing most as adults, things like ability to keep learning rapidly, adaptability, curiosity, problem solving, those are things that aren't actually prioritized in school systems. And I would argue actually sometimes the things taught in schools actively hinder those things. And so I realized even homeschooling, just many of the curriculums were bringing that same school approach home. And so I started asking sort of if I was going to go from the ground up, what would a better approach look like? And what I centered on was more of a, instead of knowledge down, more of a skills up with these core tenets of how do we maintain and enhance curiosity? How do we maintain and enhance children's natural problem solving and imagination? You know, there's so many quotes from everyone from Einstein to Feynman and everyone in between about imagination being more important than knowledge. Yet I feel like often the school system suppresses imagination, maybe not intentionally, but just by the nature of the way it's run. And I thought like, how do we teach kids to think outside the box when often we're putting them in a quite literal box and telling them there's one right answer to every question on a test and failure is bad. Yet as adults, we learn from failure. And often there's many creative solutions to a problem. So our system looks completely different than you might see in an average school system where there's a lot more hands-on, a lot more movement, a lot more curiosity-based learning and Socratic learning, and a lot less book work. It reminds me of that quote from Mark Twain saying, don't let school get in the way of your education. You know, how do you prepare kids uh, of all ages and stages to be able to be happy and, and fulfilled and, and successful in, in, in the world outside of when they, when they leave school? You and I have had this conversation where they talk a lot about things on what to learn, like math and history and science, Spanish. Maybe there's a deficit on things like how to learn, a social learning, e emotional learning. So what would be some of the examples so we can maybe paint a little bit of a picture? So especially at a young age, but really throughout, but when they're really little, is my priority is to minimize the amount of time spent just doing repetitive 
or knowledge-based like worksheets, repetitive learning, and to really prioritize as much as possible hands-on problem-solving question-based learning because their brains are so geared toward that already when they're young. And so we also start with a framework of, I actually got this tip from a friend who has raised several entrepreneurs and his own kids, but with the idea that children are natural pattern recognizers. One thing we do is start every day by watching three TED Talks on entirely unrelated topics with the idea that kids have a natural built-in ability to connect the dots. And if you give them information on three topics that aren't actually related, they're still going to draw correlations and apply patterns. And so it helps them sort of to think in an innovative way and to think outside the box. And plus, I've always told them, you know, sometimes the best, the person who's best in the world at this topic, distilling the entirety of their career into 14 minutes. And then we also build in a lot of practical skills. So every school year, which was a loose term for us, we make a list of about 100 practical real-life skills that they're going to learn over the course of the year, which often a lot of the things you would learn in a traditional school subject are built into these, but the hands-on part makes it so much more fun. And I feel like they retain so much more because they actually have a curiosity around it. So it's things like learning how to wire an electrical outlet or change a tire or cook all kinds of different things, or maybe something chemistry related, but in something that's applicable to them and fun, or, you know, gardening, things that are hands-on, sewing on a button, things that are going to be real life skills for them that I can work a lot of these educational lessons into. And I would remind our listeners that even if they have kids or children in their life as students, and they're going through traditional education, this is something that we could do outside of that to complement and be able to supplement, to be able to, to prepare to prepare kids. And I, I think that relevance is so very important, but it also teaches them personal responsibility. It, it helps to maybe cultivate a sense of, of agency. And you and I have talked about this in previous podcasts, the difference between a fixed mindset and, and a growth mindset, how you encourage and support your kids so that they could live more from their, their element. Absolutely. And I think that, to your point, is another huge key. In fact, that's something even at a very young age, I start with my kids. One of my core tenets is I don't do anything for them that they're capable of doing themselves. And that's one of my few hard and fast rules, because my goal is to make them empowered and autonomous as adults one day. And so this doesn't, of course, I'm going to help them learn these things. I will support them. I will answer questions. But once they're capable of doing something, I'm not going to do it for them, which means by age four or five, all of my kids have done their own laundry they're all capable of cooking. They can handle most of their household responsibilities. They even now, to your point, even do their own taxes with the help of either me or their grandmother, because those are real life skills. And I see those memes all the time of like, I'm sure glad I learned how to play the recorder in school now that it's tax season or whatever. But to the degree that we can give them these real life skills, and you're right, that doesn't mean you have to homeschool to do these things, especially the way I've sort of built this out in our life. Even with the schooling side, it only takes a couple hours a day, but that means parents could absolutely do this supplemental to kids being in school and they could, they could get both. It's not, it doesn't have to be an either or at all. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about is like starting steps because it could be overwhelming. A single parents, parents who have oh, many jobs, you know, they're tired at the end of the day. And what would you say your message would be to them? Because part of it is their own self-care, right? So what would your message be? Because it's not necessarily easy. It, it, it's definitely worth it, but it's not you know easy. So it's that simple, but it's also that difficult sometimes. Absolutely. And I would say over time, once the transition can be difficult, but it actually, I would argue, can be easier once you have developed that habit. First steps, if this is a new concept for people, I think one of the big ones is to not try to recreate the school system at home. That's the, the thing I see people make when they want to start teaching, even if it's supplemental to the school system, they want to start teaching more at home. They'll try to create the same type of atmosphere at home. And to me, like the first principles approach is to really evaluate, is that actually the most 
conducive to learning? And I would argue no. And so I think a lot of parents are resistant to teaching their kids at home because it seems like they need to sit down for eight hours a day and have structured work that fits into this kind of algorithm of what it's supposed to look like. And I would argue it can all be done if you 80-20 it and actually look at what's effective versus just what's typically done. You can get in the same amount of learning or more in a couple hours a day and leave a lot of extra time, which I think is really the valuable part. When kids have more of that free time, for one, to get to be bored and get to feel what it feels like to be bored and learn how to solve that problem, I think it also removes that idea that we need to entertain our kids all day, every day. I know that school actually serves that purpose often, or at least keeps them busy. But the idea that we are supposed to be our kids' entertainment is a relatively new phenomenon. It's when you look at the data, kids actually really only need 10 to 20 minutes of focused parental attention per day to feel connected and safe, which is one of the things I think as parents, whether however our children are educated, we do want them to feel connected to us and safe. And then I think beyond that, it's creating an environment that's really conducive to sort of that hands-on free learning. So in our house, for instance, we have a climbing hangboard in the kitchen. We have gymnastics rings in their room. We have art supplies and books everywhere throughout the house. So that it's kind of creative endeavors that they can really just pursue on their own. And I think that free time and, and often even that boredom is a great impetus for them to actually consider doing those things without pushing as, as adults, we know we often learn the most from failure, but school doesn't really set up safe avenues to fail without it being a pretty high stakes game. So I want to set up fun games in which kids can fail and learn and realize that's a good thing. And then also, whether kids are in school or homeschooled, I think as much as we can give them and build their skills and autonomy around certain areas, for me, that's I think of things like food, finances, the activities they choose to participate in, and their technology, because those are all things that as adults, they're going to have to manage on their own. And so I think to the degree that as young as possible, we can give them the foundational tools for good decision making and the freedom to make bad decisions sometimes in those areas. It's, it's a lower risk way where they can learn in those areas before they're an adult and it's a higher stakes game. And so I think it often surprises people with an online name like Wellness Mama that I very much don't try to control, for instance, what my kids eat. So the way I look at it is there's this sort of division of responsibility, which is it's my job as a parent to make sure that there is nutritious food available at all times in our house and to cook it most of the time, although often they do the cooking now. Their responsibility as autonomous humans is to pay attention to their bodies and know when they're hungry and eat when they're hungry, or they can choose not to eat even if they're hungry. That is within their scope of autonomy. And so I'll often cook and I don't force them to eat but they also just don't get to eat junk food because it's not in the house. But the other side of that is if they're not in my house, I do not impose strict rules on them of what they should or should not eat. Same with managing on a small scale their finances. That's something we work together on and I help them with their investment side and the IRA side, but their own money, they get relative freedom in how they spend. And of course, often go through phases where they want to spend a lot on toys when they're little or go through saving or now my older one's wanting to invest more. And then technology, I think is a big one because as you said earlier, this is we have the entirety of human knowledge at our fingertips. And I think back to in school so many times when I asked why we had to keep learning certain things, like in math, for instance, they'd say, because you won't always have a calculator. And now I laugh because I'm like, well, we do right here all the time. And our kids have that even to more of a degree than we do. And they've had technology their whole lives. And so it's not, they don't need the ability to memorize knowledge in the same way, but they need to know how to curate knowledge, to sort through it, and to not get overwhelmed by the amount of it available to them, and also how to create their own boundaries around technology use. Because how many of us as adults even struggle with overuse of technology or social media or just being on our phones all the time? And so I wanted to create systems for them that even from a young age, technology wasn't a forbidden fruit, but that they had 
the understanding that this is a very, very valuable tool. And just like any valuable tool, it can be misused. That's amazing. You know, it's one of those things where we all want to change people. Uh, We have this impetus to be able to want to change them, to get them to change their behaviors or something or their, their habits or routines. And, you know, children are incredible role models. And it's really hard to tell them not to eat something if we're eating it, right? Or to, to tell them not to be on their, you know, my kids are always on, on their iPad doing this. And then, then you look at the parent and they're on their screens all the time. You know, it's, it's definitely better well, well done than well said. My final questions would be, are there certain, how do you, what's your approach in terms of routines? Like you hear a lot about morning routines, evening routines. What's your approach towards like, getting your kids to go to bed, you know, so that they, they're not sleepy and, you know, they're, they're functional the next day? How, how do you generally approach it? Yeah, this is a great question. I take probably an 80-20 type approach to this because I think talking about the amount of information available out there, there's so much information about all the things we could and should be doing with our kids for them mm-hmm. to be optimal. And I think we have to sort of step back and take the approach of what are the most effective things that they're willing to do and that I can integrate in a way that's not going to overwhelm the family. And so in our household, what that looks like is as soon as possible after waking up, which is at different times for all of us, we all try to go outside for 10 to 15 minutes okay. with the idea of the science. I know you know is that that early morning light exposure, even if it's a cloudy day, is so much more intense light than we would get inside. And that starts the clock for our circadian rhythm. And kids are especially sensitive to light. So even as babies, I did this with them. And I think it really helps to set their sleep schedule. And we know that that light signaling in the morning begins the cycle that will create melatonin at night and leads to better sleep. And I think as parents, to the degree that our children sleep well, it's a less stressful life for all of us. And so that's one thing I really, really prioritize. Same thing with, to keep it easy, I meal plan and I just have nutrient dense, especially protein dense foods for them available at all times. And I let them have freedom of when and how much they eat within that, but just making sure that fuel is always available. Because I think when kids are grumpy or having trouble, the first things to check are, are they tired? Are they hungry? And 80% of parenting problems can be solved by, are they tired? Are they hungry? And then as they get older, there are some key ones, unfortunately, that I think even kids can benefit from supplementation at this point. Even Chris Kresser, a friend of mine, has he used to say, you know, get everything from food, now says we're, we're now in a point where the food supply is to such a place that we actually need to supplement with certain things. And for kids, magnesium seems like a big one. But even for babies and toddlers, it can be as simple as putting magnesium into their bathwater or using it topically on their skin if they're too small to take supplements. For teenagers, that's a game changer. When they get enough magnesium, they sleep better. It seems to help with hormones, digestion. It really is, we know magnesium is used for almost 600 reactions within the body. And then when it comes to evening routine, we try to be off of our screens when the sun goes down. We also have bright lights in our house that are in the ceiling that are more daylight bulbs. And then all the lamps have a more amber color, no blue light bulbs. And when the sun goes down, those switch based on timers. There's also the key of the bright light being overhead in the signaling mechanism and the lower, more reddish lights being eye level because that's what we would encounter in nature. So that's a thing I feel like people often miss is they'll switch to lower light at night, but it's still coming from overhead. So changing it to the eye level light can make a big difference for sleep patterns. And then we try to do, I like to do a lot of fun conversations with them at night, story time with the little ones. We talk about gratitude and do gratitude journaling at night. And then they have sort of staggered bedtimes. But my approach to bedtime is that I obviously can't, within that idea of what what is in my control, what is in their control, I can't force them to sleep. All I can do is facilitate them being in bed. And so they have an understanding that that's the time at which they're in their beds and they often will stay up and read. And that's an area where I let them experiment and fail. So if they get in, involved in a great book, I did this at their age too, I would stay up till four in the morning reading and then regret it the next day, but it still be, I was glad I read that book. 
I'd rather them try that and fail it with a great book at this age than not have time management and sleep management when they're adults. So I'm not as strict on them sleeping, just on when they're in their bedtime kind of winding down. And then beyond that, each day is pretty varied based on each individual child and their nutrient needs and their activities. But those are kind of the sort of base routines that I think are helpful for all parents. Katie Wellness, Mama, Katie Wells, thank you so much for being on the show. How do people stay in touch with you? Where where, where is a good place for people to connect with you? Is it social media, websites? You could list them all. Obviously, we'll put all these in the show notes. I'm Wellness Mama pretty much everywhere online. Wellnessmama.com is the hub where they can find everything else, but the podcast is hosted there as well. And anybody who gets on my email list, I'm actually working on creating this framework called Institute as something that other families can use, whether their kids are in school or out of school. So it's a work in progress, but when that's available, I will let my email list know. So if anybody's interested in that, they can hop on the email list. I encourage everyone also to take a screenshot wherever you're consuming this conversation, whether it's on YouTube, on Spotify, on iTunes, and and share something that works that maybe something you learned from this conversation or something that you're going to, that your suggestion in, in terms of working with, with your children, that's been extremely helpful for you. Cause when you teach it, you get to learn it twice. So you take advantage of something called the explanation effect. I'll, I'll repost some of my favorites also as well. If you tag us both, we get, we get to see it. I'll link also to, to the episodes that I've done on your show also as well. Katie Wells, thank you so much for, for being on our show. And I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. It's always a pleasure. I encourage everyone to share this episode if you got value of it. Obviously, one of the best things you could do is is to be able to leave a review and make sure you subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and more. I'm your brain coach. We look forward to seeing you next episode. Be limitless, everyone. Want to double your brain speed and memory power? If you'd like to learn rapidly and get ahead faster, I'd like to give you my brand new Quick Brain Accelerator program. You will discover exactly what I teach my clients to learn, read, and remember anything in half the time. There is no charge. It's my gift to you for being one of our subscribers. That's kwikbrain.com. Growing up struggling with learning challenges from a childhood brain injury, it's been my life's mission to help you have your very best brain so you can win more every single day. Now, want more quick brain? Here are four ways to fast track your results and lock in what you just learned into your long-term memory. Remember fast, F-A-S-T. The F stands for Facebook. You're not alone on this journey. I invite you to join our free private online group. There you can connect with me, your fellow brain lovers, links to resources, and even submit your questions for me to answer in future episodes. Go to quickbrain.com. That's K-W-I-K brain.com. The A stands for apply. Act on what you learned today. Remember, knowledge is not power, it's potential power. It only becomes power when you use it. So use what you just learned. The S stands for subscribe. Don't miss the next episode and other free brain training. And finally, the T stands for teach. You wanna learn faster now? The key is to lock it in right away by teaching it to someone else. When you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Here's a simple way to do that. Leave a review on iTunes. Leave a review with your biggest takeaway from this episode. You could also post and share this podcast on your social media. It helps us spread our mission of building better, brighter brains. And of course, tag us so our team can properly thank you. Hashtag quick brain, K-W-I-K brain. Mine is at Jim Quick, K-W-I-K, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So what does FAST stand for? Facebook, apply, subscribe, teach. I'll see you in our next episode of Quick Brain. Until then, remember, you are faster and smarter than you think.
I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you want to go deeper with many of these authors that we have on our podcast, these experts, I want to invite you to join our quick success program. This is our monthly lives that I do, where I teach something brand new that we haven't taught before, answer your burning questions. And also we have something that people have been requesting for many years, a quick book club. This is your Limitless Book Club, where every single month we read a book together, uh, like a book provided by this author. And then we get the author to come online and join us for one hour, uh, share going deeper in these strategies, how to put them into practice. Uh, I share my five tips for how to memorize things out of these books. Many people want to read a book a month or build up to that. And this would be the program. So if you want to join, just go to quicksuccess.com and get your spot and join us live and get to meet these authors very uh, up close and personal. And uh, back to the episode.